Hello, and welcome to It's a Scary Life. I'm your host, Melody, and this is my co-host, Ellen. Hello. And we thank you so much for listening to our first episode. Yay! You guys are great. Yes. Um, So a little bit about why we're doing this podcast. I pretty much looked at Ellen and said, hey, Ellen. Yeah, Melody. Can I ruin your life? And I said, uh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) What What do you mean? And I told her I had a podcast idea where I talked to her about something from true crime or forensics or about a historical figure or just whatever dark macabre things pique my interest. (laughs) Which is a lot of stuff. She has a wide range of interests. Yeah, I like oddities and curiosities. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just get to act as my fun sounding board because I think we have a fun dynamic with this when we do talk about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have fun. And so. I, I've wanted to do a true crime podcast for a little while because it's research that I'm very interested in and that keeps me going. And I know very little about it. So this is really fun for me. I mean, also kind of nerve wracking because, you know, some of it's going to be really gross or sad. And anxiety inducing. And anxiety inducing. But I'm medicated for that. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. We are heavily medicated on this podcast. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say heavily. We are lightly medicated on this podcast, and we are proud. Absolutely. <laughs> Go see a therapist and a psychiatrist if you feel the same way. Absolutely. If you are thinking dark thoughts, if you want to hurt yourself or others or anything like that, or even if you're just... Not having a great time. Feeling a lot of shame and guilt or some fears, talk to somebody. Find a therapist. Yeah. You know, there is help out there, and a lot of what's going to be covered in this podcast are people who didn't get the help they need, mm-hmm. or sometimes were irreparable. Yeah. Um, some of these people were bound to be horrible people. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That sounds too much like fate to me. I, th- I think that there is always a way that someone could have been turned away from the path of, like, murder. I think when you have... At least when it comes to brain development, mm-hmm. when there is a underdeveloped frontal lobe from the beginning of life or some type of head trauma, you are going to go down the path of some type of darkness. Yeah, but you can talk to a therapist about that. You can. And a lot of people are able to get help that way. Mm-hmm. But I will say some people, there's always the outliers. There's always those people truly, truly want to hurt and can only be stopped if people stop them. Well, we'll see what I think at the end of this podcast. (laughs) I'm still very firmly on the humanity is flawed, but ultimately we can choose to be great. It's a bell curve. Yeah. And the people at the very ends of the bell curve should not define humanity. Absolutely not. Um, But I still acknowledge that those people exist. Fair enough. And I acknowledge that. Like, I strongly believe we need to abolish the prison system we have now but I also acknowledge that we will always need somewhere to put people who are danger to themselves and others yeah who are true danger Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right and with that (laughs) let's dive into our first case oh do we want to tell them about our little (laughs) mix-up so we had some audio mixing mix-up this is 
the first time I've done engineering of any kind. She's doing really well, guys. <laughs> she really like I genuinely mean that. I think it's yeah. so cool that she's doing the editing. <laughs> well, I'm learning and I'm in the learning process. So we had already recorded this episode several days before mm-hmm. and didn't record a good chunk of it. <laughs> it's our bad. Sorry, guys. So instead of her knowing nothing about this case, she has already heard my essay. Yes. It's a good essay. Very exciting. Yes, my teachers liked me a lot. (laughs) Were you a pleasure to have in class, Melody? I was a pleasure to have in class. (laughs) As much of a pretty contrary, I wouldn't call myself contrarian, but I was very contrary to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, Very normal for like the rest of the developed countries. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's fair. Contrarian in America. Ah, yes. Like, even how contrary I could be, especially with my look. Because I'm very goth, very rocker girl. She um, looked adorable. <laughs> I've seen pictures. It's really fun. She's got little baby cheeks. And she looks so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, that might be a thing I share on Instagram if people are interested. Please do! <laughs> I was a bit of a teacher's pet. People... People dig, dug me. I did my ho- I did my homework for a lot of courses. Once I realized that like doing homework was you know something I should do. I'm very bad at doing things I don't give a shit about. So there were a lot of English classes that I did not do well in. <laughs> oh, see, <laughs> I was also kind of a teacher's pet, but because of how anxious I was and undiagnosed, I was just like, if I don't turn in this assignment then everything will fail and I will not get out of this town. See, I had the similar anxiety, Mm -hmm. except I had perfectionist anxiety. So I wouldn't start if I didn't think it was perfect. That is intense. And I'm still that way with projects, which is why I'm very proud that we are recording our first episode of It's a Scary Life. It's so exciting. (laughs) I am following through with a project probably for... Really, the first time in my life, I'm following through 100%. Hell yeah. Wait, no, second time, because I have an Etsy shop. You do have an (laughs) Etsy shop. And what's your name on Etsy? My name is Culture Cluster. She makes such cool stuff. Yeah, I have some fun Judaica and some witch stuff. I'm coming out with some more um, black and Afro positive content and things on there as well. So, yeah. Take a look at that. Keep an eye on it. Buy some jewelry. (laughs) It looks really cool, guys. And pretty soon some trinket dishes and coasters. And actually, probably by the time this gets released, those will be on the site. Excellent. Um, Let's dive into our first case. Yes. So this is Lauren. Yes. The murder of Lauren Giddings. I know. Ellen had gone into the first recording of this thinking she may have survived. Because, because I purposely dangled that carrot in front of her. Uh, she was very mad at me. <laughs> she just sounds like a really chill person. And I thought maybe she just, you know, escaped minus a couple fingers. Because that's the other, that's the only thing Melody told me about this episode before we recorded it the first time. Is that there are fingers involved. Which... <sighs> 
as someone who couldn't get past that scene in Black Swan where like she peels the the skin off her finger from the cuticle. <sighs> okay. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I will watch that movie with you and just tell you when you can open your eyes again. That would be very helpful. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing that immediate moment after is very important to the plot line. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I missed it. And the rest of the movie is beautiful. The, the ending is amazing. Natalie Portman's performance is breathtaking. She deserved that Oscar. She earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, that Oscar speech with her just big and beautiful and pregnant. Loved it. Right? Yes. We can talk about how cool Natalie Portman is for days, honestly. Days. I could... I should probably just do a celebrity-based podcast. <laughs> okay, but today we're not talking about celebrities, exactly. unless you're very into true, unless you're very into true crime. Exactly, but this I wouldn't say is a celebrity murder. Okay, okay. we can do some celebrity murders. We'll oh, get no. into Phil Spector, Robert Blake, maybe some OJ. Oh, ooh, the murder of Dorothy Stratton. That one's heartbreaking. I love a good Hollywood murder, though. Okay. <laughs> All right. The glitz and the glamour makes it so much more fun. Ooh. We'll cover Black Dahlia at some point because I am obsessed with Elizabeth Short and the Black Dahlia murder. I think I know that name. I don't know the second name, though. I know the Black Dahlia murder. Yeah. Elizabeth Short is her real name. She's the murderer or the murderee? She's the victim. Oh. Found horribly mutilated oh. and there's a connection to man ray paintings what what yes oh my gosh this is why we need to cover it okay <laughs> can, can we see the manta ray paintings what the manta ray paintings man ray not manta ray oh <laughs> okay this uh surrealist uh <laughs> got really excited i mean surrealism is really cool as well but but misogynistic as fuck oh yeah well isn't most things true especially in the art world yeah getting to the lovely lauren giddings Mm -hmm. 27 year old lauren giddings was born in april was born on (laughs) april 18th 1984 in tacoma park maryland so she's an older millennial like us Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> um, Wait, she, no, you're an older millennial. I'm actually, like, within the last couple of years of the millennials. You were 95? 94. Yeah, but like... Yeah, so you're an older millennial. Older millennial stretches to about 95, 96. Because oh. we grew up without in-home computers being the norm. Okay. So we were the last gen people growing up offline. Oh, see, my family had a computer that sometimes I got to use. I mean, if no one else we was got on our phone. first one at, when I was six. Okay, yeah, that's about that's about one. But I, you know, I basically grew up in those early years without screens. Oh, okay. Other than the television. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. That's, that's the distinction, is that we're sort of, we're much more like Gen X in that we were raised in front of televisions, not computers. Oh, okay. And tablets. That's the difference. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Shout out to PBS Kids for being most of my childhood. Shout out to Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network for being my childhood and some Disney and MTV. Fuck me. I love me MTV. I love Celebrity Deathmatch so much as a child. We, we didn't get those channels. 
<laughs> yeah, she grew up without cable. Yep. But getting back to Lauren. Yeah. Our, she was going to be a lawyer, guys. Yeah, her soul sister. Um, she grew up with two sisters, Caitlin, an older sister, and Sarah, her younger sister, in Laurel, Maryland. They were pretty close, fairly normal sisters, you know. Mm-hmm. Raised going to Catholic church and attended a Catholic private school when she was young. Uh, people say that Lauren was a really lively person and could just light up a room. She was described as friends as confident and really academically driven. Lauren was intelligent, beautiful, outgoing, and rather athletic, playing field hockey and softball in high school and continuing softball and taking up running in college. Just overall, well-rounded woman. Yeah. So Lauren graduated on May 14th, 2011 with a Juris Doctorate degree from Mercer University's Walter F. George School of Law, which is impressive for Lauren. That's an impressive degree. Ooh, can I see if I remember what the Juris part of her degree means? Yes. Okay. So it means that she has a degree in the theory of law rather than the practice itself, or that that's the focus? Correct. Yes. (laughs) People who get a Juris Doctorate degree would still... um, they could still get trial experience if they were looking to be a trial lawyer. So that program can still include that. But so, some people do only look at the literal theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are for people who don't want to do trial law. Because mm-hmm. trial law is a whole other thing from like business law. Right. <laughs> uh, business. <laughs> So Mercer University is located in Macon, Georgia, and Macon is described as the heart of Georgia, not just because it's practically right in the middle of the state, but because it has that culture of slow down living where you strike up a conversation with your neighbors or people you know while you're out and about. It's both my dream and my nightmare. I don't know. (laughs) It's definitely, I don't want to say it's the same as where I grew up because it's obviously not, but... I think Macon is larger. Um, I think so. Oh, yeah. I'm almost totally sure. But, you know, I grew up in a college town. And, yeah, it. some parts of that vibe are great and wonderful. And I've met some lovely people who are lifelong friends. But it can be kind of stifling yeah. in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about small town life that I would hate, especially having grown up a kid with PTSD that had gone undiagnosed for a very long time. There's a lot of behavior I look back on and I cringe or... Yeah, well, that is kind of the hallmark of childhood. It's, I think it's a whole other level when you have trauma attached to it Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just this... uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what was the makeup of uh, Make'em Again? Yeah, so I looked up the demographics of Make'em According to the 2010 census, which is, of course, taken one year before the case, Mm -hmm. Macon's population was 91,351 people. And that included about a 67% black black population, 28% white population, and the rest being a mix of all kinds. Yeah. So this information had made it shocking for me to see only white people in the shots of streets of Macon in documentaries that I had watched researching the case. So, you know, if anyone listening... 
it works for investigation discovery or other media productions that cover true crime, please tell them to accurately portray the populations that they are representing in these areas because it is very dangerous to portray places as white spaces, especially when you're looking at spaces like the South. Yeah. Um, there is a very, when you're looking at America, to portray places as white spaces. Yeah, there's is, a long history of that. There's a very long history of that. It just ultimately upholds white supremacy. And honestly, we can do better. So much better. We as people can do so much better to uphold everyone we can. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting off my soapbox. Keep being on the soapbox. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We need to get through the rest of the stuff. But there are going to be a lot of soapboxes throughout this whole series. So many. Because I'm a very loud woman with a lot of opinions. Yeah. Um, like they say on Red Handed, um, loud and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> She's like 90% of the time, right? Maybe 98, <laughs> you know. A decent enough amount of yeah. the time. Yeah. I would probably say closer to 85, but. I mean, I didn't go to school for math, so. <laughs> did go for that good good knowledge oh yeah despite what people think you get when you get them in a musical theater degree what yeah absolutely theater isn't just frivolous you have to research the time period so of much every single show also scene oh my god monologue that you do you have to be smart to do theater also, sometimes you have to try and dramaturg a show that where like the concept is entirely different production to production. So you actually have to decide what your show is going to be like because there is no director because it's for a class. <gasps> That's neither here nor there. But uh, yeah, love and information is a play. But, oh God. <laughs> but getting off our theater so far. Oh, God. <laughs> Second soapbox of the show. Yay! We got this. Getting back to Lauren's uh, college experience. Mm -hmm. She was a part of the public defender program. So cool. Um, And planned to later become a public defender to help people who needed representation. Because no matter what crime you commit, everyone deserves a good lawyer and someone to give them a good argument. Absolutely. Um, I strongly believe that. And I hate when people demonize lawyers for representing someone because at the end of the day, everyone needs someone who has studied law, who knows what resources to go to to argue argue for you, mm-hmm. and who is going to do the work to give you a good defense. Everyone deserves that. Also, we always need more public defenders because so many people cannot afford a, a legal defense any other way. Yeah. And right now most public defenders are extremely overworked and underpaid and don't have the time or energy to focus on each individual case as much as they want to and should be able to exactly especially with how much we over incarcerate in this country (sighs) yeah so third soapbox (laughs) stepping down Lauren is really cool. She she really had amazing goals and she was working towards them. And because at the time of the murder, she was studying for the bar. Yes, right? it's actually the next portion. In yes. June 2011, Lauren was studying for the bar exam while still living in Georgia and was really excited for it because she was sure she was going to ace it. 
<laughs> and I think you can tell by the hosts on this podcast, we are sure she was going to ace it too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we are in full support of Lauren. Yeah. So the bar exam, for those who don't know, is the qualifying exam for lawyers to practice law. So graduating law school is not enough to actually be a lawyer and act as a lawyer, either in trial or any other capacity. Mm -hmm. And actually, legally, you cannot give legal advice unless you are a barred lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a thing. (laughs) So you have to pass this exam and earn your bars. A lawyer can be disbarred. Um, for committing any type of ethical or legal violation. So that can range from sleeping with a client, especially Gross. a vulnerable client. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, if things are mutual and consensual and you're able to separate business and personal, fine. Wait till after the trial. Truly. Like, But still. Self-control. Okay, Ellen, you don't understand. I know I don't. The difficulty of having a libido. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. I do not. <laughs> All I have is my common sense. (laughs) (laughs) And so getting into the case. Yes. On June 29th, 2011, Caitlin, Lauren's older sister, was trying to contact her because she just hadn't heard from her for a couple days. So Caitlin texts Lauren's friend, Ashley, who attended the Mercer Law with Lauren, just to check in on her, see if she's okay. Right now, Caitlin's just assuming she's probably just deep in her books but if you're an older sister you've got to make sure that your younger sister is eating and hydrating and like sleeping at some point even if she's studying for the bar yeah yeah ellen is our signature old sister i'm ancient yeah i am the signature youngest (laughs) so ashley and her boyfriend paxton go to lauren's apartment building which is a two-story building with four apartments owned by the university of student housing when they knock on her door, they get no response. And Ashley lets Caitlin know that there is no response. So Caitlin just requests Ashley use Lauren's spare key and just look inside, see where she is. Right. So Ashley opens the door and she's just in for such a big surprise. There is absolutely no sign of Lauren. However, mm. Lauren's keys, phone, wallet and purse are all still inside so we can safely discount a robbery at this point yeah Mm -hmm. you can discount a robbery things don't look a must it's just like she vanished out of thin air inside the apartment you know yeah so ashley immediately follows an instinct to call the police and file a missing persons report there are times when you don't want to call the police and there are times when you absolutely should which yeah yeah and i mean she just graduated law school i would hope that would be the first instinct (laughs) that's a good point i would hope that her education sunk in (laughs) (laughs) so according to chief frank burns of macon pd frank burns (laughs) not the incompetent surgeon frank burns but a pretty competent police officer yes very competent police officer there are about like 30 to 50 missing persons a year in macon and most of them show up within about 24 hours, which is normal for a missing person. Yeah. For a town of just under 100,000, 30 to 35, especially with most of them coming back, pretty normal pretty amount of missing persons. There's nothing odd about Macon. At first, police don't treat it as a missing persons case and told Paxton and Ashley to form a search party to look for Lauren. Partially is that they want to be sure 
that people have actually given a good look for Lauren. But I think it's also like they don't want to do the paperwork yet. Absolutely. Especially if she's just going to pop up in an hour. Right. Like home from the gym. Yeah. <laughs> and now Paxton, he's Ashley's girlfriend or boyfriend. Yes. Cool. Yes. So the search party consisted of Ashley, Paxton, Alex Nichols, which is Lauren's ex and Paxton's roommate, and Lauren's next door neighbor, Stephen McDaniel. And they looked in the library and her favorite places to eat and hang out and just areas that Lauren they was known to jog in with not a single sign of her. The next day, Ashley is able to open up the missing persons report for Lauren, and her family is officially notified that <laughs> she is a missing person. So Detective Chapman was given Lauren's case once the missing persons report was filed, and he went to Lauren's apartment to investigate. So because Lauren was in student housing and was now no longer a student, she was supposed to be moved out by the end of June to make room for an incoming law student. According to her friends and sisters, Lauren was supposed to be moving in with her boyfriend, John Capleton, in South Carolina. I don't know why she's studying for the bar to take it in Georgia if she's moving to South Carolina. Unless she wants to practice law in as many states as humanly possible. Which seems like something she might do. Which is pretty normal. And actually, if you get barred in D.C., Mm -hmm. you can practice law in the surrounding states. Oh, that's useful. So if you get barred in D.C., you can practice in Maryland and Virginia because that's where a lot of well, the courts that are going makes to sense, be. yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I um, wonder if, like, a potential D.C. statehood would change that at all. It's possible. But I guess it's a long-term thing to think about. Unfortunately. We should throw that question to Legal Eagle. Yeah! <laughs> that'd be so fun. But moving on. Yes, sorry. Tangent. Um, but she does seem like that type of overachiever to get barred as many states as humanly possible. Yeah, and it's useful. The detective is surprised to see that none of Lauren's belongings have been packed or seem like she's in even the process of packing. Mm-hmm. So after doing a basic search of Lauren's apartment, he leaves it to the crime scene technicians to investigate and goes outside the building to search for any clues. This is when there is a gust of wind that carries a familiar and disturbing smell. He goes in the direction of the smell and finds the building's trash can. He has crime scene technicians examines the trash, and inside they find a bag that is the source of the smell. Inside of the bag, they find the torso of a woman's body wearing pink running shorts. I, mm, yeah. I don't like it. I don't, obviously, I don't like it. Yeah. But also the pink running shorts are very legally blonde. <laughs> And if, when you see pictures of Lizzie, or not Lindsay, Lauren, listeners, oh, goddess. <laughs> you will see she is very much an Elle Woods type. So anyone who is familiar with true crime and murder knows that when you find a body that has clothing put back on it, the killer is likely familiar with the victim and cares about them in some way. Which just makes the fact that they killed them somewhat worse. It's I don't so know. much worse. Yeah, it's like, there are other ways to express affection in a healthy way. Go talk to a therapist. Right. Ah. Um, this is going to be a refrain. Yeah. <laughs> Go talk to a therapist. Please. Put on a t-shirt. I want that t-shirt. <laughs> so, the shorts are a really good clue for police, as well as just finding a torso. Because it's... This but, tells us what kind of killer he is, right? Yeah, it lets them know that they're dealing with someone who is either 
already a serial killer or someone who wants to be someone who's working their way up to that and that's because the act of dismemberment is it's a depraved thing to do Mm -hmm. to another human being and it just gives this insight that you either want to get away with murder or are you so deeply disturbed you dismembered the body for some form of enjoyment nope yeah nope 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 all kinds of just disgusting yep (laughs) yep like if you just enjoy dismembering things i don't know go be a butcher go put that instinct to good use which i'm sure there are some butchers out there or people who have the desire to cut up a person and just put it into their work and that's great as long as you're not actually hurting people and you're, you know, and people are going to be eating the animals that you dismember, fine. Mm-hmm. As long as you're doing it safely and, you know, you have a clean work environment, like, live your life. Yeah. Yeah, there are very healthy outlets for these things. Yeah. Um, special effects is a good outlet. Yeah. Special really effects like are just fun. Gore. You can just create blood and gore. Mm-hmm. And you can make it, like, different pressures, too. <laughs> like, you can't really do that with people. Can you? Can you do that with people? Don't what? tell me. Do stuff that where you change the pressure that have the blood and guts come out? I don't know. You can't really change blood pressure. But, but there are certain angles that you can cut a artery or something where it's more likely to spurt out like it does in the movies. I don't like that. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> okay, moving on. It's a very difficult angle to get and you would have to basically be a surgeon to do it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So police then started to search all the trash cans on Lauren's block as well as the sewers and couldn't find anything else. No other body parts. Mm -hmm. So because dismembering a body is a very messy business. So gross. And it looked likely that dismemberment happened in Lauren's apartment. The crime scene technicians use luminol all around Lauren's apartment. In the bathroom, they find blood streaks and spatter all over the walls and shower of in the bathtub. I mean, there's just something something even more horrifying and just awful. I mean, besides just being murdered, then getting dragged to your own bathroom, mm-hmm. into your tub, which is supposed to be safe, and it's supposed to be a place where you clean off, and you can just kind of relax a bit, and it becomes the scene of your dismemberment. I mean, that's... It's messed up. Yeah, it's a hard image for anyone to picture. I'm picturing it now. I don't like it. Like people, yeah, people hate even just the idea of someone being in their home when they're not there. Generally, and that feeling, that violation. Yeah, that's. It's just. It's such a horrible violation of a human. And especially, obviously, this shouldn't happen to anyone. But we've learned enough about Lauren where it's just it, it, it hits even harder. Yeah, she seemed really great. Yeah, she seemed like she was on a good path. Mm-hmm. Like she was going to help a lot of people. Yeah, and her poor family. Yeah. And, you know. So armed with the likelihood that Lauren was dismembered in her own bathroom. Her own bathroom. Yeah. Police are now pretty sure that there wasn't anything random about Lauren's killing. And that she, uh, or that the killer likely knew Lauren's schedule. Either they were someone close to her or someone watching her. Both bad. There's no good options here. Yeah, don't murder people. Don't do it. That's the only option. They also um, knew that the killer likely spent 
hours in the apartment to kill and dismember Lauren and then take time to clean up afterward. Which, yeah. I mean... (sighs) That's a what-the-fuck moment. For the sake of her friend and her sister, it is good to clean up after yourself. I mean, in general, it's good to clean up after yourself, and it does show a certain amount of, like, organizational skill. Which is, in other places and spaces, admirable. It's just, goddamn... Just don't kill in the first place. Yeah. An organized killer is terrifying. Yeah. I love a disorganized killer. They get caught easier. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I I don't think I like either of them enough to to pick a favorite. Like there's an there's an upside to a disorganized killer because they're easier to catch. They're more likely to just walk away covered in blood, like nonchalant. Don't do that. I mean do it if you're gonna kill someone. Like make it easy for everybody to catch you. But like <laughs> Don't do it. So to create a timeline, mm-hmm. police search Lauren's trashing car and they find a restaurant receipt stamped 6.08 p.m. June 28th, 2011. Meanwhile, Lauren's family is getting um, prepped to take a trip to Ma- Macon and help search for Lauren. And this is when her younger sister, Sarah, finds an article online talking about the body outside Lauren's apartment that was assumed to be Lauren. Can I just say, I respect journalists and journalism a lot. They've done a lot of good in society. That being said, wait until the police or someone has had time to inform the family because that's one of the worst ways to find out. It's just like, truly horrendous. Yeah. It's like, oh, we found a body or part of one. And a lot of the time, <sighs> police aren't going to immediately offer up that information to a family because sometimes they want to be ahead of the game well they want to be more sure before they inform the family oh okay well there's also that (laughs) and considering that this is in the middle of the south and you know there's certain rules of propriety and hospitality they may have wanted to give the bad news face to face that's true then the journalist should have sat on it for like a couple days yeah but torsos are always going to be nude like always the unfortunate thing about freedom of the press is that things like this can slip yeah though overall we do support freedom of the press obviously 100 percent. just don't be jerks please okay there's just yeah everything every system is going to have its problem yeah so lauren's father bill then contacts the police in Macon and begins an 11-hour drive to identify the body. At this point, police bring in Ashley, Paxton, and Stephen for some initial questioning while being vague about the condition that Lauren was found in. So who's Stephen? Her neighbor who had participated in that first search. Okay. So she, uh, she, he lives right next door to Lauren. So her neighbor, Stephen, says he only really sees Lauren in passing or in classes. And he also mentioned that Lauren likes to go for jogs and something may have happened to her while she was jogging. A likely story. (laughs) I mean, it is is a likely story. It's weird to drop in your first interview. I don't know. It's a weird thing to drop in police interview. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have extrapolated as much, I think. But I'd definitely be like, she did go for a run. You might want to check in that area. Yeah, I would mention jogging. I would be like, maybe something happened to her there. Maybe. You just did some very intense eyes. (laughs) It was like, maybe. 
It's almost like I have theater training. What? In the theater? It's almost like I went to debt to learn something, at least. Oh, the debt. (laughs) Please support us on Patreon. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what else did Steven say? So that's all that's notable from his first interview. (laughs) But while questioning Ashley... Mm -hmm find out that she and Paxton had last saw Lauren when they had partied the previous Friday night. So they had hung out at a bar until closing time at two. And then they went to Paxton and Alex's apartment to like compute to the party. Ow. As someone who has a strict bedtime of like 1030, how do you do that? Coffee? As someone who has party till dawn and sometimes not slept for about 40 hours. Sometimes it's energy drinks. Sometimes the acid keeps you awake. Uh. <laughs> oh, you mean like, okay, that kind of acid. I was like, stomach acid? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, acid is notorious for preventing a lot of people from sleeping. Oh, okay. And sometimes you're doing cocaine. All right. I, I guess that explains it. At least that's my experience. <laughs> So when Ashley had woken up at 10 a.m., she didn't notice Lauren amongst any of the people sleeping in the living room and found out from Alex that Lauren had left early that morning to walk home. Suspicious. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So she then tells police about Lauren's 48-year-old boyfriend, John Capleton. That is... Listen, obviously, love who you love as long as everybody's a consenting adult. However, that's a lot of an age range. Like, if your relationship would have been a little bit scandalous, even in the Victorian period, maybe you should rethink it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like you're marrying another lady or another gentleman or a non-binary person, then like you go, do it. I mean, live your life. No. No, no, no. Not if there's an age like, gap. I'm just saying that would have been kind of, oh. you know, unless you were doing like the whole Boston marriage thing and like. Being like, no, yeah, we're just two spinsters who live together, and it's fine. Sure, but <laughs> I'm more talking about like specifically the age. Gap. Okay, because no, with the, even with never good, even with queer people or whatever. Oh gosh, no, 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 the older person could still be predatory. The older person could still be predatory. Yeah. Um, no, I was just talking about things that was shocking in the Victorian era. Yes. Well, actually, less shocking than you would think, but that's a whole thing. Anyways. Live your best life as a queer person. Absolutely. You can shock Victorians in that way. It's fun. <laughs> so tell me about yeah. this guy. So, this middle-aged man yes. who's dating a college grad. Yep. So Lauren and John didn't always have a very harmonious relationship. You don't say. Uh, they were... Currently at odds with each other because John wasn't too keen on Lauren moving in with him. Mm. And Lauren was really into it. And so Ashley then tells police that Lauren had dated Alex. And while that uh, John and Lauren were broken up. So this had caused a lot of tension between John and Alex. Of course. And the same day that this questioning was happening, the press started snooping around and fishing for people to talk to about Lauren. And this is when her neighbor, Stephen, gives a very famous interview. Yeah. 
It sure is famous for a reason. Yes. And Ellen, can you describe a bit of that interview? So they ask him, you know, if he's heard about the body or they kind of assume going in that he knows that they found the body, they found the torso. Um, and he is shocked and appalled and sad and he starts crying and and just so shocked literally so overwrought that the reporter is like do you want to sit down do you want to take a break you have a drink of water do you need need a fainting couch honestly listen fainting couches are fun but like this dude is just completely like breaking down on camera like to a point where it makes the journalists who are literally trying to like whatever the murder version of ambulance chases <laughs> and they feel like they need to take a step back and give this guy an out and he doesn't take it and he just keeps going on for like what five ten minutes like yeah he sits there for several minutes and then he continues to be interviewed afterwards yeah and he also keeps like dropping all of this information talking yeah. about like everything that's been happening which you shouldn't do also he loves it he loves he's really milking it like this guy and like obviously it's okay to cry mm-hmm. it's also okay to talk to journalists it's just that if you're an experiencing if you're experiencing like a big emotion this might not be the time to sit down and talk with people whose job is to find out vital information you know for a living also if you're at all involved in a murder investigation and you are not like trained to talk to press don't talk to him just be like listen i'm upset i'm grieving mm-hmm. i'm stressed i don't want to talk no comment that's all you got to do you know, if you want to, if you want to let one tear trail down your cheek as you walk away, like that's on you. Live your life, but don't go blabbing. Mm-hmm. Even if you really like attention, it's not worth it. And something that's very noteworthy that he drops several times during the interview at different points is that you know she goes golf jogging and maybe she got snatched up. Yeah, he seems real focused on that. He really Wonder likes why. The word snatched. Yeah. Which, if she was snatched, then why would her body have been, well, her torso, have been found so close to the apartment? Like, that doesn't add up. Unless the potential killer, if she had been killed on a jog, was like, oh, I better go like five miles away and drop her body or something. And just happened to drop it in the very trash can near the very apartment that she lived in. Which is a lot of coincidence. (laughs) Like, too much. Also, I don't like to be luxist. But if you have long hair, really if you have any hair at all, there's a certain level of upkeep and neatness that needs to be done depending, and you know, and the frequency of this... And, and the styles that you choose obviously depends on the type of hair that you have and how it's styled and all that. This guy just has so much hair and it's not even pulled back into a ponytail. It's not even like slicked back. It doesn't look, it, he looks like a mess. And it doesn't look like he's like a mess on this one occasion because he's like having a bad day. He just looks like he's constantly a mess. Yeah. Also, he's way too upset for her to just have been a neighbor. Like... Mm-hmm. 
really he's really upset like I have neighbors and I'd be sad if they died like I'd be like oh man they were so cool that is sad probably with less of a high inflection but you know I'd be upset and then I would go on with my day there's a certain normal level of upset to be when an acquaintance dies yeah and his level is not there no it is way up there also even if I was really upset you know what I wouldn't do guess what I wouldn't do Melody talk to the press talk to the press yeah I mean I would say the one sentence that you know it upsets me I don't like feeling the violation in the neighborhood I hope her family is well and I give them my condolences and then I would stop talking to the press yeah say no further comment also he used a very charged word in the interview what was it hoodlums yeah yeah which he thought it was some hoodlums snatched up which is a phrase especially knowing the demographics of that town and that, being in the south and being in the south who yeah yeah that it's just there's a lot of historical context that can go into that there's a lot of historical context Maybe don't use the word hoodlums if you could possibly refer to someone who is not the same race as you. Yeah. So getting back to Detective Chapman. Yes. Once he finished his initial questionings, he goes back to the apartment building to investigate more and is shown around by the landlord, Susan Clapp. She shows him a maintenance closet with tools on the wall. And the first thing that catches... The detective's eye is a hacksaw. Pretty, uh, pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that Lauren was dismembered, he thought hacksaw being available right there in the maintenance closet was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So he called a crime scene technician who immediately found the hacksaw interesting as well. And upon further investigation, could see that there was some blood and tissue on the blade. Now, it had been clean, just to clarify. Yes, Upon first look, you wouldn't have thought that there was blood and tissue on this. It had at least a basic cleaning. Okay. However, when looking closer at the blade and magnifying it a bit, you're able to see some blood and tissue because you, you'd you really have to be thorough to get something like that off of a blade. Yeah. Or you could, you know, not leave it near the crime scene. I don't know. Just spitballing. That's also great. Don't, don't kill people. Body. Don't do it. Detective Chapman has the hacksaw bagged up for evidence to be fully tested and then asks Susan, the landlord, about the keys. So Susan tells him that there are two master keys to the building. Mm -hmm. One is in her possession and the other is given to the apartment manager, Peter Wish. Peter is a second-year law student who gets a discount on rent in exchange for doing some maintenance work around the building. Good deal. Yeah, get your money. Yeah. Get your shit. Honestly, after this, I hope he got a raise. (laughs) <laughs> like, unless he was the killer. Then I take it back. Peter tells police that he and Lauren were friendly, but not friends. And that the last time he had ever entered her apartment was to fix her air conditioning a few weeks before. When police ask him about the hacksaw in the maintenance room, he says he'd never seen the hacksaw before. <sighs> there isn't a hacksaw the- in the maintenance room, officer. What the f- Also, can we just go back to the friendly but not friends? What a great way to talk about your neighbor. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. That's a normal level of neighborliness unless you're like in a very small town and y'all went to school together. 
or more likely like your aunties went to school together and they had a rivalry that they've kind of gotten over but they never really have and that's kind of been passed down to you but you try to like get past it but like you can't you can't escape ellen grew up in a small town damn (laughs) not that that's ever happened uh also because no well my family moved into the town so i saw a lot of that kind of stuff but not i was never in the middle of it well i mean i was very careful not to be in the middle of it mostly Anyways. So police asked for Peter's alibi. And then they let him know that just, you know, don't leave town. Yeah. Don't leave town. Yeah. Which, like, he's doing maintenance on the building. He's not leaving. Yeah. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Like, he still lives there. Yeah. Like, that's. Yeah. So that night, Bill Giddings arrives in Macon. And he is super anxious to identify Lauren's body. He immediately goes into the police station to see the body and be sure whether or not it's Lauren. So this is when Chief Byrne has to sit Bill down and just speak to with him father to father. And the chief broke the news that all that was found was a torso and just advised Bill not to see the body in that condition because if it is Lauren that is a terrible last memory to have of your daughter. This poor guy. I mean, just to go from, you know, preparing to go to your daughter's town and search for her with the assumption that she's probably still alive to learning that they found a body that they think is hers and you need to come right away to identify it to it's not the whole body it's not going to be easily identifiable or identifiable Mm -hmm. and really you probably don't want to be the one to identify it yeah yeah that's it's not a sight you want to see of anyone no I've seen crime scene photos of things like that, and it, it, oh. it's haunting. It haunts you. I personally can't think of Emmett Till without seeing that. Yeah. 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 So uh, the chief takes a DNA swab of Bill's cheek mm-hmm. to compare to the torso and be sure that the torso is Lawrence. And Much more humane option for everyone involved. Yeah. So police at this point receive the autopsy report for the torso. And it gives them very little details to really go off of for clues. So the cause of death is unknown, but they do now know that Lauren wasn't sexually assaulted in any way. Which is a relief, I bet. Just Yeah, at least, especially for her family. One last thing that thankfully didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also just makes the fact that they found her with shorts on just so much creepier. Yeah. So police now interview Alex, and he mentions that while partying with Lauren the Friday before she went missing, she had gone into his room with him. They got a little hot and heavy, but they didn't have sex. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm As someone with only common sense to her name, if you know there's going to be a situation with an ex or with anyone that you're very attracted to, and you're in a relationship that is monogamous... Or where that's that would be crossing a line. Don't put yourself in that situation. Just, if at all possible, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or learn self-control. Yeah! Go to therapy. Imagine therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so when police asked Alice who broke off the relationship, he admitted that he was the dumpy. Um, and he also stated that her current boyfriend was why he didn't have sex with Warren when they were in his room the other night. Which, you know, 
at least he did have enough common sense to be like, you know, there's a reason this is a bad idea. Let's let's not do this. Exactly. Good on this guy. Alex, right? Yes. Good for you, Alex. So he says that she had left early that next morning to walk home and that she texted him around 1.30 from a pool to hang out. Mm. And he said that he didn't respond because he just felt the situation was too emotionally complicated. Good on you. He you was, recognized? Yeah. And you acted or didn't act on that recognition. Exactly. Solid job. You know, we can't control attraction, but we can control what we do about it. Absolutely. So police ask Alex for his alibi, and he tells them that he had been studying all day that day and then watched a game on TV with his roommates. After the game, his roommates went to bed. He continued to watch TV, and then he went to bed. So this would actually leave enough time for Alex to have committed the murder. Please let him know, yeah, don't leave town, and leave Alex remaining as a person of interest, but, you know, shelving him for the moment. Yeah. Honestly, the fact that he was so forthcoming about everything, just being like, yeah, I was the dumpy. Yeah, we did kind of get into stuff, but, Mm -hmm. you know, backed off. Yeah, those those are some good signs. Yeah. So at this point, John Capleton has come down for questioning. Hmm. And he has really only been informed that he was needed for questioning. Right. Something to do with Lauren. So John Capleton is a lawyer. And when police inform him that Lauren had been murdered, he seems very distraught. He tells them he hasn't seen or spoken to Lauren since she had spent the weekend with him in South Carolina, the weekend prior to her disappearance. So he says they had a bit of a fight before she left, and they were just like in a cooling down period. Right. Which a week seems really long for a cooling down period. I mean, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) So police ask him about his relationship with Lauren, and he informs them they've been on and off for four years. When she was 23, they started dating. Oh, no, no, no. I know. It's obviously every couple is different, but... I hope she's making good decisions. Yeah. I hope she's like our friend from college who is now happily living with her husband and child. Oh, yeah. 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 When asked about moving in with him... John expressed that he didn't like the idea of Lauren coming to live with him. He said that he just didn't feel ready, which... Fair enough. If you're 48 and not ready to settle... Maybe. maybe you maybe know. you should not be, like, in monogamous relationships. Mm. Because at a certain age... It's kind of... Well, people want to slow down. Yeah. Mm. I would also say, though, if he was clear about that from the outset, which obviously I don't think he totally was then as long as everybody's on the same page, I don't see anything wrong with it. Being like, yeah, I want to see people. I want to see you, but like, I don't want to like be on top of each other all the time. Yes. Healthy, know your boundaries. I don't want anyone in my house. I have roommates, but you know, (laughs) they're fine. So police asked her for John's alibi and he tells them that he was golfing in California the weekend Lauren disappeared. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's a fine social game, I suppose. But, like, only if it's mini-golfing. Yeah. Mini-golf is fun. Mini-golf is great. Regular golf is a waste of Land. four to six hours. Such a space that could be, like, you know, a nice park. Realize for something mm-hmm. that isn't just deeply, deeply boring. Yeah, 
yes. Um, I mean, if that's how you get your kicks, I guess that's fine. Currently in Chicago, um, there is a golf course on the lakefront, and it's typically closed to public, but because no one's golfing right now, <laughs> people are just walking on it with their dogs and stuff. And it's Heck great. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Great way to social distance as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Plenty of space. Oh, speaking of dogs. Now, Lauren at one time had a dog, right? Yes. His name is Butterbean. <gasps> oh, my God. And we will, of course, be having an Instagram where we post pictures for every case that we cover, every episode we cover. Are we going to post a picture of her and Butterbean? Yes. Yay. It's a cute-ass dog. Yeah. <laughs> also, the dog was with her parents, right, at this yes. point? Yeah. Yes. So Butterbean's fine. Yeah. Butterbean was the family dog. He didn't have to go through any trauma concerning that poor uh john promises to email his receipts for his from his trip once he gets back home golfing trip for his golfing trip Mm. you're not a golf positive podcast sorry guys again (laughs) if it's your thing you just got to deal with me thinking that it's boring and that it would be more fun if there was like a big fun colorful windmill and like maybe like some like plastic tiger things and you know but also have you considered better hobbies <laughs> have you considered being less of a yuppie <laughs> i mean there is that abandoning anything that is acceptable at a country club i mean i was going to suggest polos. if you have golf money you take up horseback riding but that's kind of yeah same thing though the whole point is at to least get it's horses. away from the elitism <laughs> but what if everybody got to ride horses I would love to. But right now, that's not how it is. I know. Ponies? Especially since equestrian therapy is very good for people. Oh, yeah. I take it back. No ponies. They can be jerks if they're not of a certain temperament. I mean, that's any animal. That's fair. But, like, ponies have a higher chance of being a jerk. Oh. Yeah. I wonder if it's the inbreeding. I mean, you know, like most things, inbreeding doesn't help the situation. Yeah. So... Or like bulldogs have respiratory. Yeah, though they're trying to like bring, like, like kind of debreed that. And so you're getting more of like the classic bulldog, which is still kind of like it's a silly idea, but they're much healthier. Yeah. They look better, like, and they can breathe properly. And they have more of a snout, which is really cute. It's adorable. It's so cute. Especially with the jowls. Oh. We are, however, a pro dog podcast. Always. Yep. And cats. So before John leaves, Mm -hmm. he mentions that he had received an email from Lauren at about 1040 the night she had gone missing. And she expressed a feeling that someone had been inside of her apartment and might be watching her. In the email, she thinks it might be some locals. Now that seems convenient. Right? Yeah, that seems a little too convenient. I mean, it's it's the... I forget what the official term for this. I'm going to call it outsider bias. You're always going True. to assume a crime or something is committed by an outsider, not someone close to you or in your personal community. That's true. Um, we see this a lot with all kinds of murders throughout history. They'll be like, it must have been a drifter because oh. no one in our town would ever do this. Spoiler alert. They would and they did. Yeah. And they will again. Um, this is what makes small town murders really interesting because, you know, they happen every 100, 150 years or so. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a town that doesn't get this type of stuff happening. Right. 
or even maybe they happen every 25. So yeah, it's and like, it's just like, nothing in living memory. And they're like, no, it had to be someone killed, someone came in and killed this person. Yeah. It couldn't have been their spouse. We're not like that. Exactly. Yeah. On July 9th, 2011, there was a memorial service held for Lauren, which was by attended by family and friends alike. Mm-hmm. And um, it was where a lot of people signed a memorial post that was put outside of her church that she had grown up going to. Which I will also post the Instagram. It's a cute picture. Really sweet. I mean, it's a it's a good way to deal with kind of communal grief too. Mm-hmm. Like memorials in general are. Yeah, funerals are for the living. Yep. Police at this point have checked out Peter and Alex's alibis. Peter fully checks out. Cool. But Alex still has a good chunk of time after his roommates went to bed where he could have committed the murder and come back right. without them noticing. Though he did give, like, like that is the alibi that he gave, so it's not like he's trying to cover. Mm-hmm. Which, exactly. you know, I don't know if that's a good sign because I don't interact with a lot of true crime. But <laughs> it sounds like it. Sometimes people will try to deflect by giving details like that. Oh, no, I was just home. Okay, that's Because it's hard to prove whether or not you were there. Right. This is when the police realize that they haven't received any receipts from John. <laughs> Detective Chapman follows up with him. John is surprised. The police didn't receive his email after looking. Tells them that the email didn't send because the files were too large. Okay, so obviously we've recorded this episode before. So I, I know what happens. That being said, everyone has pulled this move yeah. in college. Or even in high school, if you're at the age where you were, like, emailing stuff to your teachers. Sometimes <laughs> stuff just doesn't quite get done on time. You just need, like, you know, half a day to get everything settled, get it edited, or just, like, slap it down. So what do you do? You send an intentionally empty or corrupted or over full email to your teacher or professor... And then when they're like, hey, this isn't working, or hey, you didn't send it, you can go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, let me get that right for you, da-da-da-da-da, and like, it gives you a little extra time to, I don't know, forge something, in this case, or, you know, if you're a student, write the damn paper. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and of course, this seems like a red flag. Yeah. To the detective as well. Good. It seems like a very convenient excuse. Sure is. Until a few minutes later, he gets an email from John. And we remember that he was 48 in 2011, and so maybe, you know, maybe it was he genuine. Maybe understand that type of tech. I mean, fair <laughs> enough. Maybe, maybe you should date your age range, because they might be better with, you know, technology. I mean, unless they're a murderer. That's true. You don't want them good with tech. Don't don't date murderers. You want someone who's bad with tech if they're a murderer because they leave evidence behind. Yeah, or you could just not date murderers. Exactly. But you don't Fair. always know. That's true. That's true. Like, people shouldn't always be responsible for making sure they're not getting murdered. Well, no, I'm not trying to, like, victim blame. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. like, if you know someone's a murderer, you should probably not date them. <laughs> just my personal opinion. You would think. Detective Chapman feels like he has nothing to solve this case and decides to start interviewing Lauren's neighbors and checking their apartments. Good. When 
they get to Steven's apartment, um, which is the last one because he's the other upstairs apartment. They started with downstairs. Okay, fair. Don't get an immediate response at the door. Hmm. I mean, obviously, if the police are at your door, I understand not answering right away. You know, you got to Google, like, okay, what kind of warrant do they have to have to get into my apartment? (laughs) That being said, since we know this is a murder. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Also, originally, at this point in the podcast, I was like, oh, God, I bet he's flushing fingers down the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. But if police come to your door... I understand if you don't have an immediate response. Yeah, that's fine. And also, it's always an appropriate response to go, you have a warrant. Am I being detained? Yep. I do not wish to answer questions. I do not consent to a search. Mm -hmm. Practice those. They're important. Unless you murdered someone, then just... Rot. Yeah. (laughs) Unless, Unless you're the murderer... Then give shit away. Yeah, absolutely. Please, please, please. Talk to the <laughs> Unless the person you murdered was like a serious danger to you and or your loved ones. In that case, like, you know. Your thing. Yeah. Like Live your life. Kuypert. Who? Uh, Tanya Kuypert. She shot her father twice. Oh, right. Yes. Um, we talked about this. Yeah, for sexually abusing her from about, I think, at the age of eight was when it started. She can do whatever she wants forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Is she she's still in jail? Yes, she is. And she's a model prisoner, has been the entire time she's been there. And she deserves to be free. Absolutely. 100% deserves it. Yeah. Um, she will not be given a parole because, of course, she is not feeling regret for murdering her abuser. What? What do you mean? She has to... That's what you have to do what? to get parole. You have to show guilt for your crime. Could she feel guilt for getting caught? <laughs> is that... A, could she lie? I mean, I mean, she shouldn't have to. But if I were God. in that position, I would be apologizing for taking a human life, but I would not be apologizing for the human taking life Taking that human life. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you also, don't parole when you apologize. Also, like that, so. don't deny people parole because they killed an abuser. Like, that's baseline. But it also puts people who are in for crimes they didn't commit. In a really shitty place. You will never get parole. Oh. <gasps> And one of the men in the Central Park Five stuck it out. Oh, my gosh. And, and he only recently got free, or did he? Yeah, they're all free now. Okay, good, good. All of the Central Park Five are free now, yes. Good. But it took decades. Yeah. And it's so upsetting. Yeah. Um, for any listeners who want to know more about that, there is actually a very good series by Ava DuVernay by, uh, called When They See Us. Very well done. It's truly a beautiful show. Heart-wrenching. Obviously, it's a yeah. Central Park Five is a hard story. Back to lovely Lauren, though. Yeah. Our current victim. When police are about to give up because they think Stephen may not be in, he ends up opening the door really rapidly. Hmm. Again, it... And he, he seems get off it. kilter, like he's off center. You don't say. Is originally reluctant to agree to having the police come in and search and question him. But eventually he ends up kind of giving in. Don't do that. Unless you're a murderer. Do you have a warrant? Practice it. Mm-hmm. Practice it over and over. You have a warrant? Am I being detained? No, you may not come in. No, I do not give consent for you to enter my home or to search me. I do not give consent for a search. That's the better language. No, you're right. Yep. 
Dr. Chapman begins asking him questions, just sort of get to know you questions. How do you know Lauren? Things like that. And then he gets into sex and dating. And Stephen responds saying that he's saving himself from religious reasons. Which is a fine choice. It's a fine choice to make. However, in my experience, in a town in the Midwest, usually if someone is saving themselves for marriage for religious regions rather than nobody in the middle school is hot, um, they're usually a bit more put together as a person than Stephen is. Like, they're usually... I mean, they rarely, if they're men, have long hair, but if they do, it's nicely, neatly pulled back. You know, there, there's some grooming. There's that cleanliness is next to godliness type thing going on. Like, that's the vibe. He doesn't have that vibe to me. So I just, I just thought that was very interesting when I first heard that, just because it's very contrary to my experience with that population. Yeah, I mean, those types of kids tend to be very clean cut. Mm-hmm. Um, from nice families. Oh yes, of course. Um, you know, it's a it's there's a certain type of look that comes with it. He yeah. just doesn't carry that look. And obviously, if you're saving yourself and for religious reasons, and ugh, if you're saving yourself for religious reasons, and you don't fit that cookie cutter type deal, that's fine. Live Absolutely. your life. We support you. Absolutely. Now make your make your choices and just make yeah. sure they're choices you're making for yourself. Yeah. While searching his apartment, some officers had found condoms in one of his dresser drawers. Suspicious. Very. So Detective Chapman asked Stephen about the condoms, and Stephen openly admits that the condoms were taken from other people's apartments in the complex. Which what the fuck? Right? What the fuck? I mean, you could you could even say yeah, sometimes I like making condom balloons. It's really funny. <laughs> like, yeah. it's ridiculous, but, you know, it's somewhat believable. And I have known that super religious person against premarital sex for themselves in college to reserve on hand for their friends. And that's great. To be like, that's supportive. getting close to this dude at this party, have a condom. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to be in a situation where we don't have it. Yeah. I don't want to be an auntie yet. Yeah, they're great. You are that person. You are greatly appreciated. Shout out to you. So then Stephen starts casually talking about how he went to their apartments and what it was like to do that. And when Chapman asked him about it, how he got in, he was like, oh, I have a master key. Which? And at this point, he realizes he had said too much and immediately shuts up. Which is why we don't talk to the police. I mean, obviously, I'm glad he is. But Absolutely. Like. These red flags. Yeah. So the detective arrests Stephen on the spot. Good. For, with charges of burglary. Mm-hmm. So the search of Stephen's apartment continues. And police find a pair of women's underwear in another dresser drawer. And the cover of the exact same type of hacksaw as found in the maintenance room under his kitchen sink. Which is sloppy it's just sloppy. sloppy i mean here's the thing you shouldn't be committing a murder but if you are there's a certain level of premeditation where these kinds of mistakes become absolutely unacceptable like if you're gonna do something then you need to do it in a rational way which i know is not the mo for these people who who have the compulsion or just decide to do this or ability who are able to follow that Right. Intrusive thought and impulse to kill a person. Right. Absolutely. It's just, 
you expect a bit better when someone's called an organized killer. You know? There's a standard. There, There isn't. I'm making one up. But, like, don't be sloppy. Mm-hmm. Don't keep prizes or whatever you call them. What are they called? Trophies. Trophies. Yeah. Why? I, I know. I sort of know. I don't understand why, but, like, I understand why. Have you ever bought a souvenir? You want to remember a vacation? Yeah, but I usually end yeah. up disposing of them. It's like, like I know, you know. same. <laughs> I'd be very bad at this. Or very good. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Be, oh. Police then start speaking with some of Stephen's friends, and they say he has a bit of an obsession. He would often bring up how to get away with the perfect murder Wait. and would frequently go back to dismembering the body. Why? And dismembering of the different parts in different places. Which, here's the thing. <laughs> We've all been bored in middle school, you know, because the class was either not about something interesting or because, you know, it wasn't moving fast enough for us or for whatever reason. And we think idly about these things and we mention them to our friends. But here's the difference. We don't do it. You don't. You don't. These are things you can idly think about because you're bored and you don't have a new story idea or something like that. Or because you, you know, got grounded or something and you're just like, oh, they took away the books. Which happened. It was bad. I was talking back a lot. But you don't, if you're going to, at any point in your life, commit a murder, you don't talk about it. Just be better at this. <laughs> don't be better at it. Don't do it. But Don't be better at it, please. Don't be if better you, at it. If you want to murder people, please be very disorganized. We want to find you. Yeah. <laughs> and either re- rehabilitate you or separate you from society. Absolutely. In an ethical way. They now had enough evidence to put Stephen away and actually charge her with or charge him with the murder of Lauren Giddings. Good. Right? Yeah. But they do continue to search his belongings. <laughs> On his computer, they find hundreds of pictures of Lauren Gross. taken from a thumb drive that had no. belonged to her. So while he was in her apartment, he took her thumb drive, stole pictures from her computer. He's so fucked What a fucking creep. And then on his camera, they found deleted videos of Lauren's apartment taken through her window on the night of the murder. <sighs> and Ellen, can you describe this video? It's really creepy. Um, it's He's definitely kind of moving it, like, so that you can't really see much. You can see the blinds and stuff, but it kind of looks like either a bedroom or a living room. Melody said that it's the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also said that he probably had the camera on a stick or something so that he could get it up without, like, having his head up. Yes, yeah, so yeah. Lauren and Stephen were both on the second story. Mm-hmm. And so the camera would have to have been on a pole just on to pole. reach the yeah. window. And... There are a couple points where you see him take it down. Yeah. And it seems like it has a good distance away from his arms. Yeah. Um, it's very shaky, kind of mm-hmm. uneven. It's just knowing what happened afterwards. And even yeah. just, like, filming a room in that style is creepy. But, like, knowing what happened afterwards, it's just yeah, deeply um, disturbing. You can tell that he is filming specifically to figure out Lauren's movements. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, it is the living room space because these apartments are one bedrooms. A little background on 25-year-old Stephen Mark McDaniel was part of the same graduating class at Mercer Law with Lauren. 
In his application to Mercer, he had described himself as level-headed, down-to-earth, a dreamer and a thinker, and he stated that he had a highly competitive personality, which certainly do sound like the attributes of someone worthy going to law school. I mean, but we all say stuff in college applications. Oh, absolutely. Like, we all say stuff. <laughs> it's just, he doesn't sound like a pleasant person. Like, someone who would describe themselves as that. Yeah. I don't want to hang out with him. No. God, no. Highly competitive? Nah. It's so exhausting, too. Um, oh, sorry for the actually creeps. had a friend who is highly competitive before. Ah, oh, bless. In college. And yeah, it's just, it makes for such a toxic relationship. The secret, which you shouldn't have to use, is to just, like, always play lower status. <laughs> it's, yeah. I can't do that. I know. I it's very like easy for me. I'm just kind of like, eh. I wish I could. <laughs> I mean, that particular person, I probably would have had a better relationship. Yeah, but would it have been worth it? Nope. Exactly. But still. <laughs> I mean, it would have been better if I didn't make her as insecure. Well, I think that I think that you're not responsible for how you make other people feel. Oh, of course not. As long as you're not being an absolute jackass. Like, if you're just being yourself and someone else is deeply uncomfortable with that, that's, that's on them. Yeah. And like maybe unless you're doing unless being yourself means doing something very disturbing. Right. Then like that's that's yeah. something that you need to deal with. As long as we're not, not saying it's your fault, your, but like yeah. deal with it. As long as you're not hurting yourself or anybody else. It's fine. Be fine. Yeah. People are allowed to hate it and yeah. you can love yourself still. And it's fine. Not everybody is going to get along with everybody else as much as that would be nice. Mm-hmm. If only um, mm-hmm. the university had known about Stephen's obsessions prior yeah. like in his application, he had given them clues. That would have been wonderful. I mean, here's the thing. I'm still not totally convinced that a lo- like like a law school would be like, huh. Some serial killer tendencies. They Maybe would not. Absolutely, if they find serial killer level tendencies, yes. If you seem like a shark, they'll take you. Yeah. I'm very intentionally not singing that one song from Legally Blonde. Yeah. I like it. I cannot stand Legally Blonde I know. in any of its iterations. <laughs> uh, um, underemployment. On his Mercer application, Stephen had said that after earning his bachelor's in business. I mean, I'm sure there are nice people in business. I'm sure there are some lovely, ethical, real do-gooder types who go to business school and do something wonderful with their, you know, degrees. I'm sure there are some very kind, caring people who are business majors. I just haven't met any. Yeah. I've... I have yet to I, yeah. meet one. I have yet to uh, understand one. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, one of the few times when I was, like, directly interacting with a business major, um, actually in a living situation, they ended up completely screwing us over in one of the most, like, business major ways possible. And it was really frustrating. And um, I really thought, wow, maybe she's different. Maybe I've, maybe I've held this prejudice against business majors for too long because they always take away any funding from the rest of the university that, you know, wasn't given to athletics. But no, yeah. no, I was right. <laughs> business majors. Sorry if you are a business major. But, we, um, listen, prove us wrong. Exactly. Be That's... a wonderful person. <laughs> Live a good and honest life. 
dismantle capitalism from the inside. We believe in you. So, after earning his bachelor's in business, he was babysitting his sister's children while taking steps to publish his first novel. Mm. I mean... Can you imagine the pretentious shit this guy was at? Like, writing. God. Also, didn't they find some disturbing stuff on his computer? We'll get to there. Okay. Um, he then later stated in his application that he wanted to be a federal judge. Oh, God. No, despite having a thorough plan of what lies ahead, I am not an overly optimistic person. It's, yes, I would say someone who has this level of obsession with murder. Um, Probably not. And has an actual desire to commit the perfect murder. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you're an optimist. You could be optimistic about your chances of getting away with it, but... Um, I, I would say it takes someone who follows a lot of cynicism, a mm-hmm. lot of nihilistic belief yeah. to actually commit this type of murder. Yeah. Um, However, hashtag not all nihilists. Yes, all nihilists. <laughs> Nihilism is a shit philosophy, and if you like Nietzsche, you are trash. Oh, there is that. Um, you can change. Hopefully. Find a purpose. Be less of a Shonda Ben Shapiro. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways, so another soapbox about nihilists. Um, yes, <laughs> I take it back. The hashtag. Yeah, I, I just, I truly think he should have gotten a lot of help because he could just be someone's narcissistic shark of a lawyer instead of uh, having committed a murder. An actual murderer. I guess that's one thing that's you know better than being like a very amoral shark lawyer. You know, murderer. That is worse. That is worse. And also, shark lawyers can do some good, you know? (laughs) Like, absolutely they could. I mean, I would describe Amal Clooney as a shark. Oh, that's fair. But she also has, like, ethical boundaries and stuff. Yeah. She's really cool. And values. Yeah. (laughs) She also has a trophy husband, which, like, good for her. And I love that George is the first person to call himself the trophy husband. Because he is. He knows. She's here fighting for human rights. He entertains. Which is important. It's important. He understands the importance. Nowhere near as important as she does. She's so cool. She's amazing. I love Mal Cooley. Yeah, anyways. I should definitely make a podcast specifically about celebrities. Yeah. Especially since um, today it got announced that Meghan Markle's having her second <gasps> Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Especially good for them getting out of the royal family. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho. Yep. So, people knew Stephen in college referred to him as a recluse. And they said he spent a lot of time alone in his apartment with the curtains drawn. They said that he was creepy and some people would joke about him being dangerous, but overall they saw him as the typical harmless geek. Yeah. Who might just have some, like, you know, personality issues. Yeah, which is fine. Like... I, I feel mean, I feel like there are some people who come across as creepy who who aren't who generally just like interact with people in a way that other people aren't comfortable with. Yes. And, especially yeah. people with autism. Yeah. Especially can hit that that weird crossroads yeah, of that like weird crossroads where people find you creepy but you're not. But you you're just, just, you just don't understand that the behavior seems the way it does to other right. people. However, sometimes people get a spidey sense. And in this case, turned out to be right. Yeah. I'm typically right about people I get a dangerous type vibe about. Yeah. 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 
Also, the fact that he was not hounded by some faculty member on orientation day to, like, find his creative or business posse. Yeah. What is that even like? (laughs) Find your creative posse. I was told I would be run down in the streets if I was not walking with a group of friends. (laughs) By an employee of the college. True. That speech was intense. (laughs) It was fun, though. It was weird. It was. But, like, we... Oh, God, we found our creative group, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Oh, no. We literally formed a theater company while in college. Oh, we did. <laughs> so, like, even though we're joking about it, we... We ended up doing it. We did it! <laughs> Why are we like this? And now we're making a podcast. And we're doing a new creative posse with alums. Oh, my gosh, we are. Anyways, um, while I process that, Melody, you want to... Yeah, so friends of Lauren's had said that Stephen asked Lauren out a couple times. A couple um, times. That yeah. gets me. Like, one time, okay. The second time, unless you are Mr. Darcy and you have had a complete personality shift and, like, dealt with the way that you see the world. Yeah, you need to have some changes in your relationship with Yeah. Uh, but she had politely declined both times. And she had told her friends that Stephen had really given her the creeps. Which, yes, Lauren, fair. Yeah. that intuition girl yeah and i know this is reading far more into it than is probably actually in it but do you think maybe that was part of the reason she was so keen to move in with john no i don't okay. think so um i think that had a lot to do with finishing law school wanting to start her new life and oh, wanting okay. to start that with him cute yeah okay yeah that's that's my two cents on it okay that's obviously we can't know for sure but that sounds more likely. Yeah. yeah. So during his police interview, Stephen talks despite knowing that he shouldn't say a word, having just he graduated a law, law school. He just got a law degree. He just did. What is the first thing a lawyer is going to tell you? Don't fucking talk. Shut to up. Us. Don't do it. Shut yeah. the fuck up. There's a great video with this with uh, oh, really? two lawyers basically saying, "If talk, police are talking to you, shut the fuck up." Where is that video? Can we? I will show it to you. After oh my gosh! Yes. Great. It's great. People who have followed the case and work in psychiatry theorize that Stephen has a personality disorder. Fair enough. So they say that he more than likely has schizotypal disorder or maybe even borderline personality disorder. What's the first one? Schizotypal. Schizotypal, right. So it is sort of similar to schizophrenia, but unlike schizophrenia, schizotypal is learned through behavioral things so that's the difference between a personality disorder and other disorders personality disorders are primarily behavioral um same with narcissistic personality disorder would be all behavioral and in some cases they're finding with mris that the behavior changes the brain which is a really cool thing so cool i mean obviously very sad yes and makes it difficult to treat once it's set in right yeah but also really cool but so for someone with narcissistic personality disorder, they will have a shrunken frontal lobe. That's where the what? personality and remorse and that, that's considered our conscience. Yeah. So schizotypal disorder, it's similar to schizophrenia. You're going to have some type of schizophrenic tendency, hmm. um, either delusion of grandeur, paranoia, etc. So if he had this, would we be assuming delusions of grandeur? Yes. Cool. He is someone who sees himself like a god. Which, what? There are several Greek myths about why that's a bad idea. 
My cat is literally named after a Greek god. Well, goddess. And whenever I tell her, you're the best, upon this mortal coil, because I'm not going to have my cat smote because I offended someone. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. Ellen lives in constant fear of the gods. Well, not fear, but just, you know, awareness. <laughs> it's, listen, if they're not there, then all I've done is act a little silly. If they are there, my cat is still alive. Mm-hmm. So there. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's all good. Absolutely. And you keep getting blessed. Exactly. Um, so I definitely think he at least has some very strong narcissistic and sociopathic tendencies. Mm-hmm. I can't say for sure about any type of disorder, but those tendencies are extremely strong. It's it's truly a special kind of fucked up dismember a person. Mm-hmm. It's even more fucked up to do that and then do interviews where you are pretending to be to so distraught about the murder and to pretend to be distraught. I mean, that takes that interview from like pretty cringy, which is definitely the professional term. To just disturbing. It's, it's I mean, so disgusting. It's yeah. We went to theater school, and that's messed up. That is yeah. Not that's not it. That is truly a whole other level of yeah. Gross. He was toying with them. Yeah. Yeah. Messing with the investigation. He was in press. He was enjoying it. It's yeah. so sadistic. And the fact that he was, like, part of the original search. Yeah. And, like, he was inserting himself into the investigation. That's a thing, right? Yeah, that's a thing yeah. a lot of killers do. Ed Kemper was a big fan of it. Who? Um, Ed Kemper, Big Ed, the co-ed killer. Okay. I don't. I... Well, we'll cover him at some okay. point. Cool. It's gross. Oh. But in the end, you'll really like him because he turns himself in. Good! He gets bored. And turns himself Bad. in. Bad. But good. I mean... Like he's bored of waiting for the police to find him. Oh my gosh. Just... Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, I... Yeah. On the bright side, he has been in prison since then. Good. And has been offered parole and denied it. Good. That is a good instinct. He knows where he belongs. Yeah. I mean, I wish our system did more to, you know, actually... Rehabilitate. Yeah. But I don't think Ed Kemper was able to be rehabilitated and the f- yeah from the beginning yeah but the fact that he, he knows that he what at 15 he killed his grandparents oh yeah no. we'll, we'll cover this at some point oh no i mean yay big ed is there's a reason i i actually have an affectionate nickname for him okay um, oh i thought that was just a general thing i mean generally in the two crying world okay you hear people refer to him as big ed that's slightly endearing is, you guys yeah it's people who have an endearing fascination with true crime like I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a whole world I obviously know nothing about, so this is, like, really interesting. But, yeah, the, this disgusting behavior is just... Stephen's behavior. Yeah. Um, what the hell? Yeah. He is the type of person whose memory will never be a blessing. Never. Type that would bury without a tombstone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least the worms could get some use out of him. Yep. Yeah. Stephen had declined a trial and pled guilty before a judge to all counts in his plea deal on April 24th, 2014. In his written confession, and this is where it gets real rough, so big trigger warning here. Stephen states that at 4.30 in the morning on June 29th, 2011, he entered Lauren's apartment with his key, wearing a mask and gloves, 
Lauren woke up and had yelled for him to get out. Went to her bed and she had started fighting him off. During the struggle, they landed on the floor. And during that time, Lauren's legs ended up underneath her bed. So she was unable to protect herself using her legs. And at this point, Stephen was able to strangle her to death. During the struggle, she had managed to get his mask off and started pleading with him by name. Which, knowing what we know about him and what we can guess psychologically, just probably spurred him on, right? He was thrilled. He was thrilled. Absolutely. This poor woman who's, you know, she's right at the start of a new chapter of her life. And obviously these things are sad whenever in a person's life they happen. And no matter what. Yeah, no yeah. matter what, no matter who the person is, there there is sadness there. But, you know, this is also the first case we've done, guys. Yeah. And it... It's hard. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah, she had so much ahead of her. Good, bad, mm-hmm. you know, all of it. And she could have done so much for so many people. And, you know, had so many good memories that she didn't get to have. It really sucks. It's truly terrible. After Lauren had died, Ben dragged Lauren to her bathtub and then left and went to his apartment. Fucking jackass. When he returned to his apartment, he had cut up the mask and gloves and flushed them down the toilet. Returned to Lauren's apartment and dismembered her body. Hmm. Put the head, arms, and legs in trash bags. Them in a trash can across the street. So if you remember, they had checked those and find anything. So what had happened was that the trash can outside of Lauren's building had actually not been picked up that week. There was some there was a car blocking the trash can from the garbage truck. Yeah. And so the garbage carriers didn't take it. So it was really just sheer dumb luck yeah. that her body was ever discovered at all and that her parents had any kind of closure no matter how awful. Yeah, and that we were able to pinpoint Stephen as the killer. Yeah. Because without finding any body or anything, we would have nothing to go off of. And there's a chance that he might have, you know, yeah, done this to someone else. He might have gone free. Done it to other people. Thank goodness for the owner Improving of that vehicle. Every time as well. Oh. Because they improve every time, and oftentimes they escalate every time. So a serial killer isn't always going to have perfectly the exact same MO, but you will be able to see what their escalations are. Okay. Those body parts have never been recovered. Stephen then washed the hacksaw and placed it in the maintenance room. People involved with the case believe Stephen is a sexual sadist and know him to be a budding serial killer. He wanted to do this more and he wanted to do it again. So is that why he kept the hacksaw instead of disposing of it? I think it was also about hiding it in plain sight. Because there was a thrill? Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah. Disgusting human being. Yeah. Um, they, uh, police believe that if he hadn't been caught for Lauren's murder, he would have gone on to do more. Absolutely. They were very, <coughs> police were very proud to catch Stephen after his first kill and to not have a public menace on the loose. Stephen was given life in prison with the possibility of parole for the murder of Lauren Giddings, and he is eligible for parole in 2041. I don't like that. Keep in mind, to get parole, you have to own up to what you've done. But he already did, didn't he? He he already confessed. He has, but that doesn't necessarily mean he will truly show 
regret and remorse. Yeah, but we saw him fake cry on TV. I mean... A parole board can see through fake tears. I, I hope so. Yeah. It's, it's very... It's not as easy as people would want to think to trick them. Okay. Unless... Typically, unless a person's very young. Like, if you oh, commit a murder very that. young, they might be more inclined to release you again because of your circumstances and because of the age that you were when you well, did the thing. It's okay. But very you're so much more impulsive at those ages. Yeah. But very young. We're talking, like teens not like yeah young teens right not yeah. like if you were 18 and you just like murdered exactly someone. Yeah. okay okay um there would probably be very special circumstances if you were 18 but yeah if you're a minor yeah okay especially. that's fair so he was not charged with the burglary crimes nor crimes uncovered in the data on his computer with his plea deal what did they find on his computer besides the flash drive oh we're getting there but unfortunately it's not over in 2018, Stephen McDaniel filed an appeal. Why? And represented himself in court using his law degree for the first time. What? What? What a jackass. It's always a terrible idea to represent yourself in court. Even if you are a barred lawyer, just the conflict of interest and the fact that you are emotionally involved in the case that makes you the worst person to argue. Unless you're Gomez Adams. Yes. Gomez Adams can argue anything. So that didn't work. No, we're going for <laughs> He's not a real lawyer. No, yeah. Um, I am that fool. Yes. Anyways, you so know who's Stephen not cool. filed his appeal under writ of habeas corpus, which, yes, quite literally means show us the body, but does have an expansive legal definition since era of show us the body. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. The um, legal definition has expanded quite a bit. And for his, it's when, um, so in basic terms, habeas corpus is when someone is being held behind bars and they shouldn't be. Which, if you'll remember, he should be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Stephen alleged that police obtained some evidence improperly and that they found things that they never should have. Which, which, yeah, I'm assuming means the files on his computer that were thought were deleted and some search files and other files on his computer that had gotten pulled from the plea deal. I'm sure he assumed all of that was private. And it, no, it's not. I know um, we hadn't had computers for as long, but... I mean, most people nowadays don't even know about the third backup, that everything you delete just goes in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know, no, but like... Like, I don't know. Everything up, that goes yeah. on on your computer is recorded by that third backup. I feel like if you grew up with the Patriot Act in the U.S., like, you just kind of assume. Everything is being watched, yes. Um, but he claimed that he was far too despondent and in no state to allow for a search or provide personal statement. He was despondent. Why? Because he had just committed a murder. Because he murdered someone! Yeah. But you, you were despondent because you were maybe emotional, maybe probably feeling some uh, remorse and guilt. But maybe you know, fe maybe feeling some of that, you know, shame for having killed a person. Just a little bit of the frontal lobe lighting up, being like, maybe, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe I function as a lobe, and maybe we should feel some guilt. Right. Maybe you should be sleeping poorly. But you know how he could have felt less despondent at that moment if he had confessed. Or if he had just not killed her in the first place oh, exactly. and left well enough alone. Exactly. And honestly, when you are in this state, because you committed the murder, you are allowed to be questioned and you are good enough to stand trial. You are mentally fit. 
Stephen was fully aware of what he was doing every single step of the way. You were fine to be questioned. Yeah. And searched. Well, I mean, I think this was more of a, like, look at me, look at me. Oh, of course. I've been out of the public eye too long, and I want to revel in what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And he's narcissistic enough to believe he can win this. That's the thing. He really believes he can win this and get back out. I mean, there's narcissism, and there's that. Right. Also shows whatever rehabilitation efforts they tried, if they tried anything, mm-hmm. had not been working too well. Yeah. Stephen brought to the stand one of the prosecutors and one of his defense attorneys in an effort to prove how the system had wronged him because, you know, like a killer, he's deeply narcissistic. Also, what a being wronged. What a white dude thing to do. Wrong. Right? Yeah. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to step over you there, but like, what an entitled thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you murdered someone. You've admitted that you murdered someone. That's not off the table just because you feel like you were wronged. Exactly. And um, I know that laws are written in certain ways to protect our basic human rights. Though at some point, the fact that you murdered someone in cold blood, that, for me, as an emotional being, kind of oversteps the bounds of, like, was this technically right? Yeah, and that's why I'm not a lawyer or a judge. But actually, those are that is something a lawyer and a judge would be taking in. They would be taking in, you know, every opinion possible to make sure they're making an informed decision. Yeah, but that's I'd probably go with my gut. Judge does. Yeah, just throwing that out there. It's fair. I'm still um, not going to law school. So while questioning Floyd Buford, Stevens' former defense attorney, he asked about his own demeanor after being in jail. Hoover stated that Stephen was kind of weird and nonverbal. He would listen but not really communicate until one day he did. It was when prosecution gave the deleted videos on Stephen's camera as well as the other evidence on his computer. And when confronted with that evidence, Stephen had broke down and confessed finally. Prior to then, Buford had fully believed in Stephen's innocence. About Stephen's night of confession, Buford said, You started off facing the death penalty. You ended up receiving a life sentence without the, with the possibility of parole. You didn't want to go to trial. You wanted to plead guilty. Yeah. He's like, I got you the best I could. Fuck you. Honestly. Buford then described Stephen discussing at length the night of the murder. Mm. and included details that weren't publicly known before. Stephen admitted that he had cut off Lauren's fingers and flushed them down the toilet in his ap- in um, her apartment when dismembering her. And Buford then stated that police also recovered child pornography on Stephen's computer. Which is just, I'm sorry, just to take a moment. Yeah. He was babysitting his sister's kids. Mm-hmm. I sincerely hope that they were and are okay. Yeah. Yeah hope that they um, were not hurt. And they also found searches for things like sex with dead people. I know. Here's the thing. Kinks are fine. Yeah. But don't don't violate a corpse. Don't do it. It's weird. It's bad. I I don't think there's any major world religion or minor that really goes in for that. No. Don't. No. Don't do it. Yeah. So Stephen was completely unfazed in court by this information coming out and continued questioning for hours after the fact. His appeal was eventually denied. Good. Good. So it's hard to say what the world has missed out on with Lauren Giddings taken away so early in her life. 
the hopeful public defender could have done a lot of good for people who may have otherwise not have had legal representation. Stephen McDaniel attempted not only to take Lauren from the world, but he attempted to do something so much worse, which is make Lauren disappear. You know, a murder with a body is much better than a missing person yeah. for a lot of people. There's closure in that. You know, it's sheer luck that the trash can containing Lauren's torso had not been taken out with the rest of the cans, that Lauren was able to be given justice. You know, what we really can take from this story is that the, at the end of the day, people who are most likely to harm us are going to be close to us in some way. Yeah. Um, and that they'll always be a little bit closer than we might think. That is, you know, the story of the murder of Lauren Giddings. We offer, of course, condolences to her family um, and the people who knew her. And I do think this is an important story to be told because of how sudden and how there were red flags. But Lauren could have never have known what know. was going to happen to her. You know, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And, you know, we can always hope that our death is something pleasant or through Morticia Adams, something gruesome. There is so much sadness for what she could have given to the world and for her family and friends and the people who knew her and also for his family mm-hmm. who i'm sure were shocked and saddened by this yeah but, i'm sure yeah. his sister felt a certain way after the child pornography yeah life. yeah um but and we should yeah. also always acknowledge that sometimes the families of the people who commit these things are victims of theirs in their own ways too absolutely yeah um, there's trust of theirs that has been broken. Revocably, yeah. yeah. But there's also, there's so much that Lauren could have given to the world, but there's also so much that she could have had, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what her future would have been. I, no one does. But it, from where we stand, it looked like it would have been bright and wonderful and that she would have had a lot of happiness. And She had a lot of potential yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. She had a lot of potential to do good. She had a lot of potential to a very happy life. Yeah. Move on and maybe have kids, maybe not. Maybe more dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Just live her life and hopefully get a boyfriend that she's not constantly fighting with. Yeah. Um, yeah at the end of the day, there's there's always sadness for the, the concrete facts mm-hmm. and what happened. And there's always also sadness for that potential and the what could have been. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in any early death, there's nothing but what ifs. Thank you so, so much for listening to our podcast here. We are so happy that you have listened. We would love to hear from you. Absolutely. We would love to interact with you. Yeah. We have a Gmail, it's a scary life at gmail.com, and an Instagram at it's a scary life. Be setting up a Twitter at some point in time. Ooh, fun. So look for that in the future. I'll probably put the actual thing in the link description because I haven't done a name yet. I haven't set it up yet. Okay, that's um, fine. You got this. I will by the time this gets posted publicly. Absolutely. And also, if people want to support us uh, monetarily. Yes, we will launching the Patreon the same day as this gets released. So if you want to throw us some money, a little bit of money our way every month, become a patron, we would be absolutely ecstatic. Honestly, if we get one patron who pays us a buck every month. We're going to be so happy. (laughs) It'll be so cool. Um. (coughs) Support our lives, support our art, support our cats. Yeah. Um, There will be fun perks for you in it. Yeah, some fun times. Yeah. And hope that you enjoyed this podcast. And hope that you have a wonderful day. Absolutely. Yeah. See you next time. Bye-bye.